Thank you. Thank you to our worship team for leading us in that time of musical worship here this morning. And thank you for joining us, uh, both here in person and online. To those uh, watching online, it is, uh, it is good to be here together. Oh, there's a book here. This isn't mine. It's a graphic novel. I was an eighth grade ninja. Um, that belongs to someone. I'll leave that for you here after, okay? It's my autobiography. I, I was an eighth grade ninja. Um, <clears throat> so we've been in this series in the book of Acts, and uh, we're, we're just taking it one section at a time. We've been moving through this incredible book, which is really the history of, of the church. It's the history of us. And, uh, and today we're going to pick up that series where we left off last week. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and I believe I have this. If, please follow along both in your Bibles and, uh, or if you don't have a Bible in hand, I have this on the PowerPoint as well, I believe. Um, we're going to pick things up at verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read right to the end of this chapter. Uh, this is an amazing, amazing passage. And so I pray uh, as, as we read it here, uh, just listen attentively to what the Spirit is saying. Peter addresses the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on, in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will, find, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah or the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not send, ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, is right. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Wow. How do you preach on a sermon, let alone a sermon like that? Because it's, it's all there. This is the gospel, my friends. Um, I find this passage absolutely amazing and inspiring, especially as a preacher. Uh, because to our knowledge, Peter had never preached a day in his life before this. Now to be sure... He had heard and sat under the best, most powerful preaching and teaching of all time, Jesus, right? He'd heard Jesus himself preach, the Son of God, the King of Kings, but he'd probably never written a sermon. Uh, he, he, Peter had no manuscript. He didn't have sermon notes. He didn't have visual aids. He didn't have a Bible in hand. He, uh, he hadn't spent the week studying these Old Testament passages that he quotes. He hadn't poured over commentaries, figuring out what they meant. He hadn't looked into the Hebrew word meaning of, of the different words from Joel and Psalms. He had no idea the night before Pentecost what was about to happen and what the Holy Spirit would do through him the next day. Now, the Holy Spirit knew, but Peter didn't. If you recall from last week, as soon as the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began speaking in tongues, which, again, as we saw, was not the unintelligible heavenly language that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, but 
every intelligible earthly language and dialect. That's what they started, that was the language they started speaking and declaring the wonders or the glory of God. So that the people who had gathered from every nation under heaven, Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world, could hear and understand what they were saying in their specific dialect, with their specific accent. Wow. Amazing. And the fact that they were simple Galileans doing this, right? That, that they really wouldn't have had the education, <laughs> let alone the, the ability to go and to travel to these different places and learn these languages. This was absolutely bewildering to the people who heard them declaring God's praise in, in their languages. And so we saw in verse 12, they asked themselves, what does this mean? What does it mean that, that this is happening? They needed an explanation, right? Because look at verse 13. Some, however, they made fun of the disciples and they said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. That's what's going on here. Now, uh, the Jews were extremely pious, you see, and, and they wouldn't eat or drink anything until well after the third hour. In fact, that 9 a.m., that, that was the hour for prayer. So, so this was just a deplorable thought that, that these disciples were drunk for those who thought they were. So I guess the question I'm thinking to myself is, what was it? Why did they think they were drunk? Well, we, we can't be sure, but we know that it wasn't because they were acting crazy or out of control. Quite the opposite. John Stott said that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not the loss of it. And, and that is, in fact, the case. The reason people thought the disciples were drunk be it was because they were under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. It was absolute control, His control. And He was empowering them to do something that was humanly impossible, to proclaim the praises of God perfectly in every language on earth. And so, to explain this, because people, people are like, what does this mean? Peter stands up. Peter. Remember Peter? Denying Jesus three times, Peter stands up. Stands up in front of this crowd and on behalf of the 11 disciples. The other 11. And he becomes their spokesperson here. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up to give an explanation of what these people have just seen. This, this miracle of the speaking in tongues through the disciples. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I want us to notice how he does this. Because in order to explain this phenomenon, Peter does something that, that we need to do before we do anything else. He turns somewhere where we need to turn before we turn anywhere else. And it's what we've just, where else can we run? Where else can we turn? But the word of God to his words of life. That's the explanation that Peter gives. He turns to God's word for it. Okay? This wasn't something he came up with like, oh man, how do I explain this? No, the Holy Spirit brought the word that he had hidden in his heart Peter, like the disciples, many of them had memorized the Hebrew scriptures. He brings God's word to Peter's mind so that he can 
proclaim it and explain this phenomenon. You see, as amazing as the disciples speaking in tongues was, it was only the introduction, the setup for the even greater work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word. Uh, I used that analogy last week of, of the locomotive on, on train tracks. If the Holy Spirit is, is the locomotive, he, he runs along the tracks of God's word. He never goes off them. Everything that he does is in accordance with the word of God. God's word is, is the content of his speech, of his actions, of his power. Um, <clears throat> Peter says this, no, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so he, he turns to the Old Testament, to God's word. Um, can I just say this? Sadly, I think there's a lot of Christians who misunderstand the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Holy Scripture. And, and we think just because we have the Holy Spirit, well, that we're good to go. We don't need, we don't need Bible study. That is, that is a fallacy. That is false. With the Holy Spirit, we need Bible study more than ever because that is how the Holy Spirit moves and works. That's how he convicts and encourages. That's how he corrects and trains us through the word of God. The more of this we have hidden in our hearts, the more the Holy Spirit is able to move and work, speak to us and through us, just as he does through Peter here. So Peter turns to the prophet Joel, which by the way, no coincidence he turns to Joel. People would have gathered at Pentecost, they would have gathered in the temple courts and they would listen to the reading of God's word. Guess where from? The prophet Joel. This would have been fresh in their minds. Now, Joel is a prophecy largely about judgment, judgment coming on ancient Israel. But within that judgment, there are these amazing promises of a future blessing, including this one. And, uh, and that's what he points to here. And he says, interestingly, he says, in the last days, which, by the way, was not in the original text in Joel. Um, I think the original text says, after this. Peter specifies, he says, in the last days. You see, Peter's identifying the fact that since Jesus had now ascended and the Holy Spirit had descended at Pentecost earlier that morning, they had now, humanity had now entered the period of the last days. The last days leading up to the ultimate return of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> and it's interesting because we see he, there's these apocalyptic references here, right? The, the wonders in the heavens above. Signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. Same thing. Before Jesus returns, there will be these amazing signs and wonders in the sky and on the earth. We, we took uh, some time going through the book of Revelation. We see that same thing. Jo John was, had the same thing revealed to him. God unveiled his eyes to see this same picture just before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And so really, Peter's warning the people. We've entered the last days here. And the proof of it is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out just as the prophet Joel had foretold. 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophesy. That's an important word here. Um, Peter was saying these days, those last days are now here. And those days will be marked by men and women, God's people, from all over prophesying. Prophesying. Now, let's be clear. Peter wasn't saying that every Christian is given the spiritual gift of prophecy. What he's saying is that every spirit-filled follower of Jesus shares the honor and responsibility of the Old Testament prophets to speak God's word faithfully. Sometimes we have misconceptions about certain gifts of the Spirit, and, and prophecy is one of those. We often think of prophecy as, as the, the spiritual ability to sort of to see into the future, to, to see God's will for the future, and that's a part of it for sure. But more often in Scripture, prophecy is about speaking forth God's word into the present. Not just seeing God's will for the future, but, but speaking forth his word, his message in the present circumstance for the building up of the church. In fact, this is why the Apostle Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Because he compares it to tongues and he's like, okay, tongues, great. Tongues is fine, but it doesn't build up the church. You need an interpreter there, okay? If, if tongues are being spoken, that unintelligible language, there must be an interpreter to interpret, to share that word with God's people so they can be built up. The gift of prophecy, on, on the other hand, it, all it does is build up the church. When we speak God's word into people's lives and hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are built up in Christ. And so that's the picture here. When these last days come, and my friends, we are closer than ever to the return of Jesus Christ. We are living, continuing to live in these last days. And there is a day coming soon when, when we, I believe, we will see Jesus. He is coming. We will see him visibly, physically return just as he promised. And up until that, God's people, filled with God's Spirit, are to prophesy, are to proclaim the truth of God's word into this world. Uh, and and that, is, that is the clear indication here. And, and Peter's saying, this has started to happen now. As of this morning, this is now taking place. That's where we're living now. And so it leads to this incredible invitation in verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is amazing. It's, it's an invitation to everyone. Now, it would be years before the gospel actually made its way to the Gentiles. But the offer has been extended now. Okay? And the offer is this, salvation to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So here's a question. Couldn't Peter have ended his sermon right there? Right? I mean... You think of it, he's, he's covered the bases, right? He, he's explained from the scriptures what the crowd had just seen and heard, that it was the Holy Spirit filling the disciples, enabling them to speak miraculously in, in these different languages. 
And then he's warned them that that they've entered the last days. These things are going to continue to happen as God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, he gives this invitation for everyone to be saved by calling on the name of the Lord. So why didn't he end it there? Because the crowd didn't know who the Lord was. Right? They, They thought they did. These were Jews. Right? They... God, Yahweh, Lord God Almighty, call on his name, you'll be saved. Okay, but they didn't have the whole picture. Specifically, they had a misunderstanding about Jesus Christ. They didn't realize that the name they were to call was Jesus. Jesus is the name, right? What do we read in Acts 4.12? There is no other name given under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. They had no clue. They didn't know that. Peter hadn't explained the gospel yet. And so that's what he does next. He explains the saving work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We were reminded last week that whatever the Holy Spirit does... Whatever he does, it will do a few things. It will, first of all, it'll testify to Christ. It will glorify Christ. It will point to Jesus Christ. And that is what happens next. Jesus summed up the Holy Spirit's work in six words. He will bring glory to me. He does a lot of things, the Holy Spirit, but this is his aim in all of them is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. In John 15, he said, he will testify about me. That is, give words of explanation to who Jesus is. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing through Peter here. Um, I want to say this, the, the title this morning of the message, I called it PowerPoint Preaching. Because each one of us, as followers of Jesus, I'm not saying we're all called to be preachers, though we kind of are, but that's another story. What I'm saying is we're all called to be PowerPoint presentations of Jesus Christ to this world. It's not just a program on your computer, it's the ultimate prerogative of the Holy Spirit to use us as PowerPoint presentations to the world pointing people to Jesus. That is, uh, that is what we see here. And it happens in just such an incredible way. So really, everything we've seen so far in Acts 2, right? We, we saw the incredible sound, the sudden sound. We saw the, the striking sight of the tongues of fire. We, we, this amazing speech, this explanation from Joel, all of it was a drum roll. A drum roll for the message of the gospel of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus, my friends. God's entire word, all of the Old Testament, all of it points to Jesus Christ, culminates in Christ. He fulfills the law. He didn't abolish it. He fulfills it perfectly. All of it points to Jesus. Uh, So here's the thing. You can tell people they need to be saved, But if you don't explain why, they're lost. If if you don't explain what they need to be saved from, they're clueless. 
And Peter got that. Peter understood that. He understood exactly what the Apostle Paul states very clearly, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He repeats that. The Apostle Paul does here in Romans 10. But how can they call on one they have not believed? Right? And, and how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That is exactly what Peter understood and what directs him now by the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches Christ. He preaches the word of Christ. He knows they don't get that the name of the Lord is Jesus Christ, and so he tells them, here's what's happened. Here's what you've missed, guys. Peter knew that if these people were to be saved, they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus. And so he says in verse 22, men, listen to this, men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. See, they knew it. Many in the crowd had actually seen Jesus' miracles. Some perhaps even had, had witnessed his crucifixion. So he's drawing on what they already know about Jesus. You, you, some of you have seen this. You know what I'm talking about here. And then he continues, this man Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Um, <clears throat> this is a pretty bold, bold way to start your sermon. <laughs> uh, Holy Spirit, convicting here, leading, empowering Peter to say these words. Now, do you notice what he says? That, that Jesus' crucifixion was part of God's sovereign plan. God foreknew and foreordained that it would happen. And yet, that didn't mean that people were innocent in the matter. Peter squarely puts the blame on people for their wickedness in crucifying Jesus. And not just those directly involved in his crucifixion and in, in nailing him to the cross or condemning him to die. No, it, it was everybody's fault. He points to the entire crowd. What does he say? You. <laughs> you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Uh, <clears throat> what an incredible transformation, by the way, in Peter, right? That once the Holy Spirit filled him, he's gone from the one being called out as a follower of Jesus and cowardly denying it three times to the one now boldly calling people out for their guilt in Jesus' death, saying, you, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But again, it wasn't just the people there at Pentecost, my friends. It was every human being. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against him. We are all guilty of Jesus' blood. I am. That's my sin that nailed him there. And your sin, our sin, where Jesus suffered and died, he paid for all of it in full with his perfect life, his precious bloodshed. But... But, the buts in scripture are the best. But, God raised him from the dead. 
freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh, this is, this is amazing. The word for agony there actually refers to birth pains of a woman. Um, the idea being that the baby, you're pregnant, that baby is going to be born. It's inevitable. That baby is going to come out. It was inevitable that Jesus would emerge from the tomb because he's God. Death could not hold him, could not keep him down. That is the picture here. And, uh, and so then Peter, what does he do? He, he turns right back to Scripture to explain this, to, to prove this. Turns to the Old Testament, turns to, turns to Psalm 16, where David said of Christ. I'm just going to read this again because this is an incredible passage. David said about Jesus, okay? I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Christ was not abandoned to the grave, nor would he see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, here's Peter's explanation of Psalm 16. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. Okay, he's dead. And his tomb is here to this day. In fact, his tomb wasn't far from where Peter was preaching. His tomb is here. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come by the power of the Holy Spirit, David was able somehow to see that this was about Jesus. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, And we are all witnesses of the fact they had seen it. Ironclad evidence, they could not deny it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Wow. He's kind of saying to to the uh, crowd, okay, listen, there's two tombs, okay? You got Jesus' tomb, which is empty. David's tomb, which has still got his bones and remains in there. You tell me, who is the king of kings who has defeated death? It's Jesus. And they wouldn't deny it. Peter wouldn't deny it. The the apostles wouldn't deny it. They would give their lives testifying to the fact, notice, the fact of his resurrection. That's what we see there. He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Now, sorry, I'm going ahead here. Um, so what, what we see here is, is this incredible testimony by the power of the Holy Spirit explaining God's word to the Israelites so that they could, for the first time, understand who Jesus really was. In their minds, he was this crazy, uh, miracle-working weirdo probably for many of them, who was worthy of dying a criminal's death. And Peter's setting them straight. You have crucified the Messiah. He was the chosen one. He was the one that everything you have memorized from the Hebrew scriptures, all of it pointed to Jesus, who is now alive and rewarded. Look at he's sitting at the right hand of God. By the way, David makes clear he's God's holy one, right? He, he became sin. Even though he knew no sin, he became sin for us. 
But that didn't mar him. That didn't affect his righteous standing. No, he was the sinless Savior who died for us to pay for our sin and then rose victorious from the grave alive and confirming that he had actually paid for our sin. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there'd be no proof that atonement had happened, that his sacrifice was good. That's why Peter points this out. He has been raised from the dead. So it's proof. He is the Messiah. He is the one of whom David spoke. Um, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has now poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus was rewarded, as we see here. Exalted to the right hand. Do, do you remember? I think Joe had referred to this earlier, but this is what we read in Hebrews 12:2. The writer of Hebrews says this: Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I I think this is an amazing verse that really sums up exactly what is happening in this sermon. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is getting the people to fix their eyes for the first time, their eyes, their ears, their minds, and their hearts on Jesus Christ the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven because he rose from the dead. My friends, that right there is what our lives should do in a nutshell. Cause people to fix their eyes, their ears, their minds, their hearts on Jesus Christ, to point people to him. Again, that is what the Holy Spirit does in everything glorifies Jesus. And that's what he was doing on the day of Pentecost in a powerful way. Uh, In fact, Peter says, do you know what's happening? It's actually Jesus in heaven right now who is responsible for what they were seeing and hearing. It was Jesus who was pouring out the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus, the living, resurrected Christ himself. Peter is pointing to Jesus. Again, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And then verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, again, he's quoting, this is his last Old Testament quote here from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, This verse is the most often quoted verse in the New Testament. Uh, One of the favorites of, of the New Testament writers to quote, over 25 times, I believe. And Peter uses this verse from David, from Psalm 110, to confirm that Jesus is the Lord that David was referring to. He's the one now sitting at God's right hand in heaven. And my friends, this is Old Testament confirmation of Jesus' divinity, of the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the one David saw. He is the promised Holy One of God, our Savior, the Christ, which Peter drives home in verse 36. What does he do? He points at the people again, okay? Let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, just in case you forgot it. He's made him both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Christ. This is just an incredible title here, shared with Yahweh himself. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the promised one. You've crucified him, but now you know the truth. Wow. Uh, Verse 37, when the people heard this, 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? You know, uh, Paul called God's word the sword of the spirit, right? We know that God's word is it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's exactly what it did on the day of Pentecost. It cut to people's hearts. The truth of the gospel, the power of God's word, cut them to the heart so that they, they knew they needed to respond somehow. And, uh, <clears throat> and so they say, what should we do? And Peter's response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the first and most essential word of the gospel <clears throat> is not love. It's not believe. It's repent. Repent. We get it wrong sometimes. When Jesus began his preaching ministry, when John the Baptist began his ministry, what was their message? The same. John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Peter says the same thing as his rabbi. Repent, that's what you do. How do you respond to the message of the gospel? You repent, which means turn around. It means a change of direction. It means a change of mind. You change your thinking. They'd been thinking all wrong about Jesus. They had a complete misapprehension of who he was. But now they'd heard the truth. Now they'd heard and seen through God's word who Jesus really was. So they had to change their mind, change their thinking now, and change their direction. Repent means turning 180 degrees away from your sin in faith to God's son, Jesus. You can't turn halfway. You can't kind of like, okay, yeah, Jesus is over there, and I'm going to kind of start moving towards that direction. Repentance is complete and total. And, uh, and some people, some of us, I wonder if we've, we've fully repented. Um, because the fruit of repentance is, is obedience. Uh, we, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and when we are living in the Spirit, when He lives in us and we are submitting to Him, our lives look very different from people who have not repented. At least they're supposed to. Our lives are supposed to be marked by this, this fruit of the Spirit, so that everything we do, it's, it's got this good flavor to it. In fact, it's a heavenly flavor, the flavor of love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. But how come our lives don't reflect that sometimes? We need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin in faith to God's Son, Jesus, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, 
So it's not just repentance, though. There's another part to it, right? It's, uh, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, baptism was a bold statement. <clears throat> the Jews were, were not commonly baptized in this day. Only Gentiles who wanted to become Jews would be baptized. It was sort of this cleansing, uh, washing ceremony for, for Gentiles converting to Judaism. So for 3,000 Jewish men and women to be baptized, to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, my friends, just showed how completely convinced and convicted they were that they needed Christ. How, how real and true their repentance really was that they were turning completely away from what they understood and the way they lived to this newfound understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is and the fact that he is Lord and Christ. And so they submitted to him in this powerful outward act of their inward faith, newfound faith in Christ. And by the way, that, that comes with a promise. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit Peter made clear that they wouldn't just be observers of the Holy Spirit anymore. They would now be containers of the Holy Spirit who would fill them just as he had filled the disciples. And the promise didn't end there. Look at verse 39. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. Peter made clear God's promise of the Spirit would be given to everyone far and wide, present and future, and their children, and to all who would repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And my friends, that's us right there. All who are far off, you're looking in the mirror. That's, that's us. This promise has been realized here today. For, for everyone who has repented and confessed and is filled with the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we see, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000, 3,000 were added to their number that day. By the way, so this isn't the whole sermon. This is kind of like the Coles Notes version. Okay, so Often in Scripture, what we have is we've got the Holy Spirit abridged version. That's all we need. It's perfect. But I mean, with many other words he spoke that day. So just be grateful that my words are going to come to an end here in a second. Uh, although, I know, I'm sorry. I, I use too many words sometimes. But, um, but no, with many other words, Peter warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then this incredible result. Uh, the church went from about 120 to 3,120 in one day. <laughs> made up of Jewish pilgrims from every nation under heaven who would now return home, taking the good news of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit with them. We often forget that, right? How, how did the church grow like crazy? Because 3,120 people in one day now were filled with the Holy Spirit and now carried the truth, carried the power of God with them back across the globe from where they came from. Praise the Lord. There were two categories of people that day. There were those who accepted Peter's message and those who didn't. And so I'm just going to boil it down and make it uh, simple here today. If, if you're hearing this and you have not accepted this message, the message of the gospel of Jesus, if you've not repented of your sins and surrendered your life to Jesus, 
The Holy Spirit is inviting you to surrender your life to Christ right now, to turn away from your sin and believe in God's Son. This is true what we read in this passage. If you call on the name of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, today you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, God, Master, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It is a promise. There may be some here today who've repented and surrendered in faith to Christ and are following him, but maybe you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as Jesus said in Matthew 28. Well, if that is you, uh, I want to invite you to talk to me because we are planning a baptism service for next month. We're looking forward to that. And if you haven't taken that step of faith, we'd encourage you to do that. It's a step of faith and obedience. You can't kind of deny that, right? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For those who have repented and have submitted to Christ and have been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, here's my question for you today. Similar to last week, are you being kept filled by the Holy Spirit? Specifically, are you listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Is he speaking to you? And is he speaking through you? Are you allowing him to? Because my friends, this right here, this is how you know if he is. If it is him speaking to you, if it is him speaking through you. The content of the Spirit's message, like I said earlier, is right here. It's God's word. It always lines up with God's word. You notice that Peter didn't tell them what he thought he heard the Holy Spirit saying in his head that day. He told them what he knew the Holy Spirit had said in God's word, which he had hidden in his heart. Again, Peter didn't have a Bible in hand like we do. What a gift this is. He didn't have like the three scrolls that he would need tucked into his robe. It was all hidden in his heart. Not just so that he would not sin against God, but that he would be able to speak for God. Speak God's word, prophesy, proclaim the truth to the people who needed to hear it. And my friends, the same is true of us. I, I would say this is an encouragement for us, like Peter, to, to increase our efforts in hiding God's word in our heart so that we would not sin against him and so that we could be able to speak for him from God's word. Speak the truth in love, being ready to give the reason for the hope that we have in Christ to anyone who asks and living lives, PowerPoint presentation lives of Jesus Christ so that people will be inspired to ask us. They'll see the fruit of our lives. At what do you have that I don't? I want that. I need that. And then we're able to share the gospel with them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is able to do the work that we can't of saving people unto himself. Wow. So my friends... May we be Holy Spirit-empowered spotlights shining on Jesus Christ, PowerPoint presentations of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do. And my friends, uh, let me just pray for us now as we close uh, this, this time together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words to us today, this incredible, incredible sermon spoken through Peter, but empowered by your Holy Spirit. 
Thank you that we have these words of life and that we can read them and study them and memorize them and hide them in our hearts so that we would not sin against you, Lord, and so that we would be faithful to you to do what you've called us to do, to be your witnesses in this world, to to shine through our lives, to share with our mouths what you have done, who you are, Jesus, and, and this incredible gift of salvation that is found through faith in Jesus' name alone. Lord, and that is a message that people need to hear. They need to know what they need to be saved from in this world, namely their sin. So Father, give us courage. Give us boldness, just like Peter had that day, to stand up and to speak the truth, Father, not to be afraid, but to know that when we trust in you, Father, that that when we submit and surrender our lives to you, you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. So have your way in in your church and in our lives this day and until Jesus comes again. And it's in his name I pray, amen. As we uh, close this morning, we will be singing I Love to Tell the Story. And uh, just how fitting after what we have heard, uh, not only to be encouraged to... to, uh, to share the gospel with those who haven't heard it, who have not believed yet. Uh, But interestingly enough, in in the last verse, it talks about how even us who have heard it so many times, uh, there are times where we hunger to hear it again. And so uh, I invite you, if you're able to stand with us as we uh, sing this final song.
to tell that story and uh, not only in glory but now today go and tell the story to those who need to hear it Uh, i'm going to close with my favorite benediction from ephesians 3 now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations now and forevermore Amen. The Lord bless you. If you want to stay and join us for a time of fellowship in the gym, that would be wonderful. We'll have some uh, refreshments in in there and would love to get to know you if you're new and uh, just uh, re-get reacquainted if you're old. All right. You're not old. Nobody's old. God bless. (laughs) 